This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed. Our hour of crime begins with the adventures of Sam Spade this time. We'll hear the missing news hawk caper, his story from July 18, 1948. After that, it's This Is Your FBI and the Innocent Witness. That story aired September 12, 1947. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic. The non-alcoholic hair tonic that contains lanolin. Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. Detective Agency. Bernadine. Anything wrong? You sound almost human. It's not Bernadine, Sam. It's me, Effie. F. But I'll tell Bernadine about your compliment. How are things? Well, uh, I've made out as best I could. I don't want to... Don't want you to think that I begrudged you a vacation. After all, you have worked hard. You, uh, did deserve it. Sam Spade, is that all you have to say to me? I'm not putting the blame on you. After all, it is a state law, so I can hardly accuse you of letting me down at a time when I needed you most. You might at least ask me if I had a good time. I'm sorry if your conscience bothered you. Oh, well, it didn't. I had a divine time, and I met all sorts of interesting people, mostly men. You don't say. What else? Well, it was this desert ranch, you know, with a lot of uh, buttes around. You uh, mentioned those. No, Sam, no, no, no. They're the result of erosion. Those outdoor types, they go to pieces. Sam, are you pulling my leg? Not over the phone, Effie, but stay where you are. I'll be right down to look at your snapshots. And when you have the time, I'll dictate my report on the missing newshawk caper. <laughs> Dashiell Hammett, America's leading detective fiction writer and creator of Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye, and William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, join their talents to make your hair stand on end with the adventures of Sam Spade. Presented by the makers of Wild Root Cream Oil for the hair. Wild Root Cream Oil. That's the famous name to remember, men, next time you buy hair tonic. And look what Wild Root Cream Oil does for you. It grooms your hair neatly and naturally. Wild Root Cream Oil also relieves dryness and removes loose, ugly dandruff. Yes, men, Wild Root Cream Oil is your shortcut to really handsome hair. So be smart. First chance you get, get Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. And now, with Howard Duff starring as Spade, Wild Root brings to the air the greatest private detective of them all in the adventures of Sam Spade. of Canab on Virgin River. Canab, the Pearl of the West. Uh Uh-huh. And did I mention the buttes? Oh, well, they're very interesting. The uh, result of erosion. Yes. And it's authentic, too. Faye Hamlin's ranch. You uh, mean a working ranch? Yes. You see, that way you get into the spirit. Mm -hmm. My job was to feed the chickens. And that's how I met him. (sighs) One of the buttes? Oh, Sam, he's a very cultured gentleman. Culture smulcher. What's he do for a living? He, He cures stammering. You don't say. What's his name? Charlie Shank. Charlie Shank? He's the founder of the Shank Institute of Articulative Correction, which I should learn. Articulative Correction. Where is this institute? Oh, I have the address here. Um, General Delivery, Butte, Montana. Mm Mm-hmm. You're sure you didn't help him break parole, Effie? Oh, no, oh, no, no. 
We just went on long walks together. Where to? Oh, different points of interest. Like, uh, like Wolf Canyon. Figures? Uh-huh. He invited me on this camping ship, a trip. Honorable, of course. Mm. But I couldn't go on account of my sunburn. Oh, oh. an awful, awful. Oh, I still got bad. it, you see. Mm. And then, then he went back to Butte. He had to leave in such a hurry, he couldn't even say goodbye. Well. It was a pity, too, because an old friend he hadn't seen in years came looking for him just a few minutes later. With a warrant? No. No, he was an attendant in a nearby hospital. Mental? Oh, yes. Very intelligent. <coughs> he read me some of his poetry. Maybe you've heard it. Um, a loaf of bread, a jug of wine, and thou. Yeah, wait a minute. Isn't that the Rubiat of Omer Khayyam that was written by a guy named Fitzgerald? Well, of course. That's his pen name. Quite a penman. Yes, but he's paid his debt to society. And the other time it was a bad beef. Oh, naturally. He told me all about yeah, it. Yeah, sure. He cried on my shoulder afterwards. Sweetheart, when you make a mistake, it's a beaut. Sam, nothing happened. Well, I'm glad he cured you of stammering, anyhow. <clears throat> Ready? Oh, yeah. I've got a brand Work, new notebook. Work, you know. Life goes on. I've got a brand new notebook, Sam. I'll just turn over a new leaf. Not a bad idea, dear. <laughs> Uh, date, uh, July 18 to Mr. Alex M. Youngblood, uh, mm, try that again. Mr. Alex M. Youngblood, P.O., Box 317, San Francisco, from Samuel Spade, license number 137596. Dear Mr. Youngblood, I need a vacation myself. You need Charlie Shank. <sighs> you sound tired, Sam. Fortunately, until I met you, my only experience with any of the men and women who make your newspaper run had been with one of your corner newsboys who shortchanged me two times within as many days. I have not read your rag since. But your name looked imposing, and so did the $300 check upon which you had written it. Per your instructions, promptly at 4 p.m. on the 15th inst, I munched through the litter of your city room toward a door marked A.M. Youngblood, publisher, managing editor, and city editor. I wondered if you were ambitious, frugal, or three men. I did not know that you had good taste until I saw the trim, 20-ish, and toothsome secretary in your outer office. Hello. You're new here, aren't you? Uh, well, I'm not exactly here. I'm just here to see Mr. Youngblood. Oh. The name is Spade. Samuel Spade? Sam, except for my most intimate friends. <laughs> well, my advice to you, Sam, is to be the hasty retreat. He's in a foul mood. Oh? Uh, why? Is he blind or older than he feels? I refer, of course, to your spectacular charm, Miss... Uh, if I may call you, miss. Please, this is neither the time nor the place. My name is Phyllis Watson, and my phone number is in the directory, if you're really interested. I could be. Thank you. And if a man answers, tell him you're my French teacher. We. Oui. <laughs> you better go in now. If you're late to an appointment with him, you're through. Uh, do you have any more words of wisdom? No, but I hope you can do something to improve his state of mind. He's been awful lately. Good luck, Sam. Uh, thank you, Phyllis Watson. Come in, come in. Now, one minute past four. You must be Mr. Spade. That's right. You're almost late. Sit down, Spade. Cigar? Uh, no, thanks. Well, don't expect me to offer a drink. You aren't a drinker, I hope. You don't listen to the radio, do you? Well, you'll not drink in this office. Nothing here but a cooler filled with water from a clean, gurgling, laughing mountain stream. You sound like a reformed drunk, Mr. Youngblood. What's that? Well, it was a good many years ago. If you don't mind, I'll just paste up the weather report for my morning edition before we talk. Oh, you do that too, huh? Yes, obviously. And with good reasons. I remind myself that I was once a copy boy, and I find it a splendid way to, uh, at least once each day, to lower myself to the level of the working man. There we are. 
Very hot in Phoenix, I say. Mm-hmm. Uh, just what do you want a detective for, Mr. Youngblood? I was coming to that, Mr. Spade. Sorry. Now, uh, <clears throat> well, first let me warn you that your assignment is a highly confidential one. They all are. In this case, a man's life may be at stake. Mm-hmm. The situation, my newspaper, at my order and under my guidance, has launched a campaign against crime. Not aimed at the petty criminal, but at the easy-living leeches at the controls of the rackets, the hoods in bankers' clothing, the mansion-housed parasites who direct the pickpockets, the second-story men, the housebreakers, who gamble away yeah, half a million uh, dollars take it a easy. year uh, and uh, pay income tax. Yeah, yeah, don't go to pieces. Of that amount. Uh, yes, I and, understand, I understand. Uh, you're after the boys on the safer side of the fences. Well, uh, uh, nicely put, Spade, yes. Well, thank you. Well, the long and short of it is this. The author of the expose series, Ray McCulley, my top crime reporter, has been missing for two days. I want you to find him. What makes you think he's still alive? Good heavens, Spade. Why must you suggest that he isn't? Because if I were a mansion-housed parasite in danger of being unhoused by a newshawk, I'd see said newshawk standing in a cement block in the bottom of the bay. I will accept that only when no stone has been left unturned. Every straw and every haystack has been searched. Every... Uh, nook and cranny? Uh, yes. Sounds as though you need at least one police force, Mr. Youngblood. Now, why don't no, you just... No, uh... no, no, no. Impossible. We've already had a brush with the police over the expose. I'll not be dictated to at this stage of the game. I started this investigation, and I'll finish it alone. Well, it's a pretty big order, Mr. Youngblood, but uh, times are tough. I'll see what I can do. Good. I hereby turn over to you all the resources and power of this, my newspaper. When one of my reporters is in trouble or danger, sir, I will spend every penny of my fortune, if necessary, to deliver aid and succor to his side. You then gave me Ray McCulley's expose stories to date. I saw why you, his family and friends, and his creditors could have been worried about. They were hot. One followed a stolen car from the time of the heist through the alteration of the body color, tire brands, license number, motor serial number to the time it was shoved onto a used car lot. They named names all the way through. And another did the same to the firm of Otter, Badger, and Mole, furriers, and alleged manufacturers of coats from clouted pelts. Ray McCulley had dropped out of sight right after that story had been published. So I left your office hoping that I'd reach the address of Otter, Badger, and Moe before closing time. I did. The plushy showroom was occupied by a dozen attractive fur-bearing models, female, but waxed. The live models, male, were wearing padded shoulders, pointed shoes, and coats tailored for underarm artillery. They would have looked more natural at Madame Fassard's waxworks, Bertram the burglar section. Hey, oh, hey, what'll it be? Something for the little woman? Uh, where do I find Mr. Otter? Are you the law? Uh, Leo sent me. He's in his office. Come on. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Don't crowd me. You say you want to see the boss? On business. Stop nudging me with a rod. In there, hey, move. Okay, okay. Hey, uh, boss. Yes, Woody? Here's uh, Joe here to see you. Leo sent him. Well, nudge him in, Woody. No nudging, Woody. Well, well, well. So Leo's sending a man to see me. I wonder why. If you'll uh, comb this character here out of my hair, I'll try and tell you. Sit down, Woody. Thanks. You're new in town. Uh, yeah, that's why Leo sent me. A local muckraker named Ray McCulley interviewed you. He also interviewed Leo, but it didn't get printed yet. Uh, Leo wants to find him. So do I. How can I help? Well, uh, he walked out of here, went to his hotel, wrote the story, and mailed it in. That's the last anybody's seen of him. Uh, Leo was just sort of hoping that you'd already taken care of him. Not yet. That's all I wanted to know. 
Thanks. Just a moment. Yeah? Leo sending you out alone? Why not? That's a tough boy, that McCulley. He's got plenty of protection. That's what you need. What kind of protection? Go along with him, Woody. Who, me? You're Woody, aren't you? Now, look, uh, look, Mr. Otter. I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth, but the way I see it, this is a, a lone wolf-type caper. Hey, what's the matter, Hey, You think I'm too good for you? Well, Woody, I wouldn't say that. Good, it's settled then. Take care of him, Woody, and don't mix it up with any of Leo's boys. If he's out to get that rat McCulley, he's our friend. I was beginning to wonder who Leo was. I'd grabbed the name off a calendar on the wall, Leo's van in storage. I didn't know whether he was the Leo Mr. Otter didn't like, and I hoped I wouldn't find out. The best way I could think to keep from finding out was to shake Woody. On the way uptown, I walked him past four police stations. Crossing Market Street, I pushed him straight into the arms of a traffic cop who begged his pardon and let me off with a warning. At the Blue Bottle Bar and Grill, I gave Joe, the bartender, the Mickey Finn sign, but Woody liked it. He ordered another. Then he said he knew a place on Columbus where the drinks were even better. It was called Leo's Place. I wondered if that meant anything. Hey, oh, hey. Uh, who, me, huh? I want your drink. Don't you like this joint? Yeah, sure, it's fine. Uh, we're not getting anywhere, though. You really take your work serious. Me, when I go gun for somebody, I go where I'm least likely to succeed. You live longer. Yeah. Uh, Woody, what do you know about this guy, uh, McCulley? You hit a puss. He says he's a rat. Yeah, but he said he's got plenty of protection. Who's furnishing it? Well, you see, there's a... Boy, oh boy. Look at what just walk in. I looked. What I saw was not disappointing. She was wearing a skin-tight black satin with a plunging neckline and a new look only in places where it didn't matter. But she still looked enough like your secretary, Phyllis Watson, to be out of place in Leo's place. She didn't stay there long. She made a beeline through the kitchen to the rear exit. I made a beeline right after her. Woody was breathing down my neck as I started up the rickety outside stairway at the back of the building. I uh, stopped the landing and turned around to face him. See you later, Woody. I didn't wait to see if he made it all the way to the bottom of the stairs. I was more interested in what was going on at the top. A door had opened and Phyllis stepped inside. The man who let her in looked like Ray McCulley. Who are you? Well, the name is Spade. I don't know that name. Your boss hired me to find you. Private Dick. Yeah. Can I uh, talk to you for a minute? Sure. Put your hands behind your neck and walk up slow. Okay. All right. Go inside. Well, what's the matter? You're not acting glad to see me. This is the guy, Phyllis. Yes. Alex hired him this afternoon. There you see. Now, uh, what do you want me to tell Youngblood? You're not going to tell anybody anything. Oh! It caught me right behind the ear. The last thing I saw was that plunging neckline as Phyllis rushed forward. I didn't know whether she was rushing to my rescue or to get in a few licks of her own. Five seconds later, I didn't care. As the design of the linoleum slammed up at me, I had just time to wonder why, of all the people who were looking for Ray McCulley, I had to find him. Then I was out, boing, maced for my pains. <laughs> Makers of Wild Root Cream Oil are presenting the weekly Sunday adventure of Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, Sam Spade.
If you want the well-groomed look that helps you get ahead socially and on the job, listen. Recently, thousands of people from coast to coast who bought Wild Root Cream Oil for the first time were asked, how does Wild Root Cream Oil compare with the hair tonic you previously used? Better than four out of five who replied said they preferred Wild Root Cream Oil. And no wonder. Wild Root Cream Oil grooms the hair neatly and naturally, relieves annoying dryness, and removes loose dandruff. What's more, non-alcoholic Wild Root Cream Oil is the only leading hair tonic that contains soothing lanolin. So ask for Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. By the way, smart girls use Wild Root Cream Oil, too. And mothers say it's grand for training children's hair. And now, back to the missing Newshawk caper. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. I was lying on the floor in a room with nothing in it but a sink, an army cot, a square of dirty linoleum, and a body. I staggered to my feet, ran some cold water over my head, and took a closer look. It was Ray McCulley. He was a very dead, crusading reporter. He'd been stabbed clean through with a long-bladed kitchen knife. It set on the handle, property of Leo's place. I went through his pockets. and his wallet, a press card, a police card, union card, and ten genuine, crisp, new thousand-dollar bills. That gave me a line on the killer. He was crazy. So was I. I left it on him, too. Folded up in his vest pocket, I found two newspaper clippings, one from the Chronicle and one from your paper, both weather reports for the same date. It was very hot in Phoenix, according to both papers, but according to your weather report, the temperature in Needles, California, was 135 degrees. That needled me. So did the slip of paper I found on his shoe. The number nine and a date had been stamped on it with a rubber stamp. The date was the same as that of the weather reports. I turned it over. It said, Ruthie's Booth, Manson Bowling Alley. Don't tell me. Let me guess. You're the cigar type. Corona's a panatelli. Uh, thanks. I'm just shopping. Oh. Uh, I got a nice line of notions. So have I. Uh, no, I mean the dolls. The Hollywood dolls. You know, for the bed. Only a dollar plus tax. Very reasonable. Say, what's on your mind? Uh, Leo sent me. Oh. Are you going to collect the slips hereafter? Well, uh, not tonight. You see, I'm uh, sort of a troubleshooter. Leo's uh, checking up on some of the numbers that didn't come out right. Listen, I'll tell him to his face. I don't want any part of those wrong numbers. They're scary. Nuts. Who bought this one? Let me see. Oh, last Thursday. Oh, number nine. How can I forget? He put $500. And honest, if he's been around once, he's been around a hundred times to see if it paid off. Did it? What's his name? Mr. Spinelli. He buys a slip every day. And if you ask me, he's learned a system. Because he's been winning, you know. Dimes and then a dollar and then five dollars. And then when he come in with 500 on number nine until he dropped dead. Did it win? Where does he live? <gasps> it did. Wait, I'll look on the sheet. Hey, somebody else was in just this afternoon. Give me that address. Hurry up, will well, you? It's right around the corner on Manson, 810. Say, maybe that's his system, 8 and 1. Don't that add up to 9? Hey, what's the matter? Where are you going in such a run? Please, come back later. Tomorrow... Next week. Are you Mrs. Spinelli? Yes, please. 
I had so much trouble. Is your husband home? Oh, my poor man. They take him away. He's dead. Oh, I'm sorry. How did it happen? Who are you? I'm a detective. Maybe I can help you. May I come in? All right. Come on. It took quite a while to gain her confidence, and after that it took still quite a while to piece together the grief-stricken grumble of words that poured out of her. When I got it down in the form of a statement, I asked her to read it over. Item. Statement by Mrs. Arturo Spinelli. All the time he played those numbers. I told him they're just a bunch of gangsters. They don't let you win. Then he met this man, Macaulay, a writer for the newspaper. My husband says this man shows him how to win. He wins and wins. Then he goes to bank and takes out all our savings. I begged for him not to do it. But no, no, he was greedy. And this Macaulay poisoned his mind. Sure, he won. He brought the money home in his hand. Ten thousand dollars. I don't want it. I'm scared. I took it while he was sleeping with wine and gave it to the men. I tell him all I want is the 500. He tried to tell me we do good. We help catch the big gangsters. I say we don't want to do so good we get murdered in our beds. So he says, okay. But if I change mine, here is address. I don't change my mind. Because already my husband, he is dead. Has home. Stands. No, I don't change my mind. She signed it, and I left her alone with her grief. I wasn't working for you anymore, Mr. Youngblood. You hired me to find your reporter, and I had. And I wished I hadn't. The rest of it I did for myself. You weren't in your office when I got there, but Phyllis was. I found her behind the city desk in the act of dropping tomorrow morning's weather report into the slot. I grabbed her out of her hand. What? Oh, it's you. Where's your boss? At home, I guess. We'll talk in his office. Come on. Sam, uh, I can explain how I have. You're going to be... explain plenty before I'm finished with you. Sit down. Oh, you... I don't have to be so rough. What's the matter with you? Plenty. I'm stupid. I was stupid to take this job, and I was stupid to play it cagey with you. I should have beaten the story out of you before the trouble started. It's a little late in the day now, but not too late to send you up for McCulley's murder. Oh, you're insane. Ray McCulley was... I'm the only one who ever tried to help and you. And I'm the only one who can place you in that room, not ten minutes before the murder. I told you I can explain Stop why... trying to save your own skin. Spinelli was only one of a half million poor dumb yucks that lose their nickels and dimes and dollars every day in the policy racket. Only he had the bad luck to win. There won't be any more lucky dead people like him if I have to make a patsy out of you to stop it. It won't stop it. Nothing will. Ray talked big and brave like you. Now he's dead. Yeah, with 10,000 bucks dirty money in his wallet. I won't let you say things like that. Ray was an honest reporter, too honest. He thought Youngblood meant what he said about that cleanup campaign. Yeah, he did. He wanted to run this town by himself, clean up his competition. When Ray started collecting material on the numbers racket, he still thought Youngblood was on the level. But that was before he stumbled onto the thing about the weather reports. Yeah, yeah, that was a new one. The old Dutch Schultz mob used to add up the stock market quotations. If they cheated, they knew their customers weren't good enough at arithmetic to prove it. But who knows how hot it is in Phoenix unless they live there. 
I don't know what you're talking about. Listen. That's how the number game works, sweetheart. The suckers pick a number from one to ten, see? The operators tally up the slips, and the least popular for that day has to win. The weather report doesn't have to pass through the copy desk, and with young blood pasting it up with a few strategic corrections, it was easy to make their winners look as if they were on the level. Oh. But of course, you had no way of knowing that. You only watched them do it day after day. You know, I couldn't understand why he did those things. It, it seemed silly falsifying a weather report, but it didn't seem as if it could do any harm. What did you meet McCulley for? To get your cut of the ten grand Spinelli was killed for? How dare you? I went there to warn him about Who you. Who killed him? I don't know. You're lying. All right, I'm lying. But I can prove that Ray was on the level. I've got the proof right here. The whole story he wrote on the numbers racket, even naming Youngblood as the head of it, his own publisher. I went there to get it. I was going to take it to another newspaper. Why didn't you? I can't tell you that. You don't have to. Mrs. Spinelli was confused, grief-crazed. She had to put the blame on somebody, and when she did, she got her revenge the only way she thought she could. She may have been right about that, but she killed the wrong man. Why didn't you tell me you knew who killed Ray? I wanted to give you a chance to tell me yourself. I'm glad you didn't. And that, Mr. Youngblood, is the crop. I'm sure you appreciate the fact that I gave the double scoop to your paper. Like uh, Mrs. Spinelli, I have my own ideas of vengeance. Besides, it may up your circulation a little, and you can certainly use a little extra money for your defense. Uh, by the way, who's Leo? Uh, period, end of report. But, Sam. Yes, Evie. I thought Mrs. Spinelli killed Ray McCulley. The vacation helped. You were absolutely correct. Mrs. Spinelli killed Mr. McCulley, if you'll pardon the expression. But why did she kill her husband? I was wrong. The vacation didn't help. You mean she didn't? She killed McCulley to avenge the murder of her husband. You mean Mr. McCulley killed Mr. Spinelli? Effie, stop. I'll go mad. Oh, you need a vacation, Sam. Look, type that up. The clatter of the keys may stimulate you to further cerebral activity. I beg your pardon, Sam? Brain work. Now, shoot. Oh, brain work. Oh, you know best. Tonight, men, or first thing tomorrow, get Wild Root Cream Oil and see what wonders it does for your hair. Notice how easy it is to apply. Notice what a neat, natural job it does of grooming your hair. Notice, too, how effectively Wild Root Cream Oil relieves annoying dryness and removes loose, ugly dandruff. No getting around it. Once you try it, you'll never be without it. So tonight, or first thing tomorrow... Call at your drug or toilet goods counter for Wild Root Cream Oil. Get the big economy bottle and the handy new tube that's easy to pack when you travel. Also, ask your barber for a professional application of Wild Root Cream Oil hair tonic. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. Well, here it is, Sam. And you were absolutely right. The typing cleared my mind. It's all clear now except for one thing. Well, let's clear that up right away. Why did Mrs. Spinelli kill her husband? She did not kill her husband. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant, why did Mr. McCulley kill Mr. Spinelli? Kelly did not kill Spinelli. Who's Kelly? McCulley. McCulley's real name was Kelly? Now, let's start all over again. Disregard everything we said up until now. Make your mind a complete blank. All right, Sam. In the first place, McCulley did not kill Spinelli. That's what I said. It was his wife, wasn't it? Now, wasn't it, Sam? Oh, stop teasing me. Sam, why do you look at me like that? Effie, Mr. Spinelli was killed by one of the policy racket hoods to get back the ten grand he won on the numbers game. Then how did the money get into Kelly's pocket? McCulley's. Why do you insist on using his alias, Sam? Effie, Effie, that was a tip of the sung. I I mean, look, Mrs. Spinelli took it to him because she was afraid her husband might be killed for it. Then why didn't they take the money when they killed him? Because Mrs. Spinelli had already taken it. Then she did kill him. Go home, Effie. I'm sorry I'm so irritable to you, but I, I thought it's... 
Well, it's been so long since oh, I've no, been here, you know, Sam. Angel, and I... Angel, you're just tired. Vacations have a habit of doing that to you. After a week or two in the office, you'll be all rested up again. I'll take it You easy. act as though you thought my mind were affected. Come here. Come Sam, on. now don't. My sunburn. Yeah. Oh, it hurts. It's nice to have you back. You look good, too. All tanned and healthy. You're... It's great. I think my nose is peeling. Well, don't pick at it. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> good night. Good night, sweetheart. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, are produced and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. The Adventures of Sam Spade are written for radio by Bob Tallman and Gil Dowd, with musical direction by Lud Gluskin. Gil Dowd directed tonight's broadcast in William Spears' absence. Join us again next Sunday for another adventure with Sam Spade. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. This is Dick Joy reminding you to... Get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie. It keeps your hair in trim. You see, it's non-alcoholic, Charlie. It's made with soothing lanolin. You better get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie. Start using it today. You'll find that you will have a tough time, Charlie. Keeping all the gals away. Hiya, Baldy. Get Wild Root right away. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. This program was transcribed from an earlier network broadcast. The Equitable Life Assurance Society presents This is Your FBI. This is your FBI, the official broadcast from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, transcribed and presented as a public service by the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and the Equitable Society's representative in your community. In two and a half years, this program has grown to be one of the most popular on the air. Millions of homes tune in every week. To this great home audience, we of the Equitable Life Assurance Society feel a special responsibility. Our equitable messages must be keyed to home and family problems. Tonight's equitable commercial concerns the education of the coming generation. Are there children in your home? Then don't fail to listen for valuable information on the Equitable Education Fund. You'll hear it in about 14 minutes. Tonight's FBI file, The Innocent Witness. There is a feeling shared by many citizens that the current crime wave, the most serious and widespread in the history of the nation is the concern of local police departments and other law enforcement agencies. In part, that is true, because it is their problem. But it is not their problem exclusively. 
The crime wave is also your problem. And it is shared with you by every other decent, law-abiding American. Because any study of the 5,000 major crimes committed in this country every day shows that the great majority of victims are innocent people. For that reason, it is to your best interest to see to it that your local police department is as strong as possible and as free from corrupt political influence as it can be. In that way, you'll be helping to protect everyone in your community, including yourself. Tonight's FBI file opens on the crowded west side of a large eastern city. In a hall in this modest neighborhood, a small dance band is playing music for a Saturday night dance. One of the couples on the floor, young Nick Gonzalez and his girl Peg, are paying much more attention to each other than to the music. Peg. Yes, Nick? What do you think I did during lunch hour today? What? I went looking at furniture. Oh? What'd you see? Oh, a living room suit, all covered with that plush stuff, just the way you wanted it. Was it very expensive? Honey, everything is expensive. Well, yes, Look, but... if we're gonna get married, we gotta have furniture. <laughs> I know that. Well, then let me worry about the money, Ann. Hey, Nick. Nick. Huh? Over here. Hey, honey, look who's there. It's Phil. Oh, yeah. Hey, let's dance over to the edge. Okay. Hiya, Nicky, old boy. Hiya, Phil. Long time, huh? Yeah. Hey, you remember Peg, don't you, Phil? Sure. Hello, Peg. Hello. You know, the last time I saw you, honey, you were playing with dolls. Hey, now, wait a minute. She wasn't that young. When we were in the eighth grade, she was in the fourth, remember? Nicky, I was just kidding. <laughs> Still sucker for a rib, huh? I guess so. Hey, what brings you back to the neighborhood, Phil? Well, to tell you the truth, kid, I came here to see you. Oh? It's, uh, kind of a private matter. Uh, well, Nick, I, I'll let you two talk. Hey, wait, Nick. Phil didn't mean that... It's private, Nick. Uh, I'll go powder my nose. Okay. I'll Nick. get the soda fountain and finish your Okay. Let's sit down over here, huh? Yeah, we'll grab this booth, Nick. Right. Sit down over there. Okay. Uh, I'll fill you in on why I'm here. Go ahead. Last Sunday, there was a shooting down on 12th Street. Mm-hmm. According to my information, there was one witness to that thing. You were it, Nick. That's right. I also understand that a guy paid a call on you the other day and tried to get to change your testimony. Yeah. You, uh, chased the guy away. Sure. <laughs> I work for the same fellow who sent him. Huh? Yeah, I'm here for the same reason. Wait a minute. Phil, you mean you're mixed up with that... Kid, let's stay with the business at hand, huh? You see, my boss knows I went to school with you, and he asked me to tell you it's very important to him that you forget what you saw. I couldn't do that, Phil. Not even for an old pal? Not for anybody. I saw a poor guy got shot down in cold blood. I saw the two men who gave it to him. They deserved a book thrown right in their faces. Oh, but kid, you don't Look, have... I don't want to hear any more of this. I got to find Peg. I'll see you around again sometime. Just a minute. Hi again. Oh, hello, Phil. Uh, can I come in and see you a minute? Sure, come ahead. Thanks. Oh, nice. Nice little room you got here. Well, that's okay. 
Uh, I just dropped by, kid, to see if you uh, changed your mind since last night. No, Phil, I haven't. I didn't think you would. Hey, uh, nice picture of Peg. I tended it myself. Yeah? Nice. Say, uh, what's this I hear about you two? What do you mean? You're gonna get married, is that true? Yeah. Well, why don't you let a guy know these things? Well, I haven't seen you in four years, Phil. Where can I get a hold of you? Ah, that was a rib, kid. Okay. Uh, when are you getting married? Next month. Big church wedding, I suppose. Yeah. All kinds of preparations. Uh-huh. <sighs> you know, it'd be a shame to spoil all that, wouldn't it? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, have something happen that would upset everything. What are you talking about? That shooting you were a witness to. Well? Remember there was a third guy, the guy who got away, the guy nobody saw? Yeah. I just got the word this morning on who that third guy was. It's Peg's brother. What? The brother Jimmy. Wait. Is this another one of those ribs, Phil? No, kid. This time I'm leveling. The boss himself gave me the information. Told me to pass it on to you. Oh, I see. He also said to tell you that uh, if you testify that you recognize the two killers, they'll turn around and blow a whistle on Peg's brother. Oh. I hate to hand you one like this, kid. Oh. What can I do? I can't change my testimony. Oh, you can go away. In fact, I got a place all picked out. I could never get away with that. Look, you stay under till the trial's over. Then you cop a plea. Amnesia. It's worked before, kid. Plenty of times. Well, when, uh, when do you think I should go? Right now. Several miles away in the same city at the FBI field office... Special Agent Jim Taylor is seated at his desk working. A visitor interrupts him. Jim Taylor? Yes, that's right. Uh, I'm Sergeant McCollin, police headquarters. Oh, hello there, Sergeant. How are you? Fine, how are you? Fine. Uh, your agent in charge told me to come in and see you. Oh, I see. Well, sit down, Sergeant. Thank you. Now, what's on your mind? Well, I wonder if you remember reading about a shooting that occurred a week ago Sunday. It happened on West 12th Street. Yes, yes, I do. I believe the victim was shot in the back by two gunmen who were later picked up by the police. That's right. We have him in custody now. Mm -hmm. Well, there's sort of an inside story to that shooting, Jim. Really? Yeah, the victim was a bit of a civic crusader, a champion of clean politics, of good government, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, we've got reason to believe that he had compiled some pretty damaging information about a corrupt political leader named Smith. I see. And indications are that Smith had this man killed. Well... Can you prove it? Unfortunately, no, but we did have a strong case against the two gunmen. Did have? Yeah, you see, the killing was observed by a single witness, and that witness is now missing. Well, what's the story on that, Sergeant? Well, the witness is a young man named Nick Gonzalez. To the best of our knowledge, he's honest and reliable. Mm. And he was supposed to appear at the DA's office yesterday afternoon, but he didn't show. Well, we went to his rooming house, and he wasn't there. We set up his surveillance, and he didn't come home all night. In fact, he's still missing. Did you check his place of business? Yeah, I hadn't reported for work this morning. Uh, Sergeant, look, tell me. You think this man, Smith, could have gotten to him and bribed him to go away? I don't know. Inasmuch as it's only supposition that Smith is involved, there's no basis for questioning him. Oh, no, that's right. Well, in any case, we believe that there could be an FBI angle. You mean unlawful flight to avoid testimony at a criminal trial? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you checked on Gonzalez's background, his relatives, his friends? Well, he has a girl he's supposed to marry her next month. Her name's Peg Martin. I'm going over to question her now. Fine. And, Sergeant, let me know what you find out. 
Phil. Hey, Phil. What do you want? Huh? I said, what do you want? Where's Phil? He's gone back to town. Who are you? I'm in charge here. In charge? Yeah. What are you running here, a prison camp? Very funny. What time is it? Uh, little after two. In the afternoon? Yeah. Hey, how did I sleep so late? How do I know? Where is this place, anyway? Just look out the window. Well, I can't see anything here but trees. So you're near trees. Look, what I meant is, how close are we to the city? What town are we in? What are you asking me for? You drove here yourself last night. Well, I was blindfolded. Phil blindfolded? Yeah. Well, let him tell you where you are. But you said he's gone back to the city. Look, stop bothering me, will you? Okay. Can I get something to eat? Yeah, there's food in the kitchen. Swell. Think I'll eat and then take me a walk. Oh, no. No walk. Huh? Phil's orders. You don't leave here. Well, is there a phone here? Yes. But you don't use it. Now, wait a minute. Phil promised me I could get in touch with my girl. Let her know where I am. You don't use the phone. But she'll be worried. Now, ain't that too bad. You just stay put here till Phil comes back. You got any beefs? Tell them to him. You busy, Jim? No, no. Come on in, Sergeant. Thank you. Did you get to talk to the Gonzalez girl? Yeah, I just left her. Did she give you anything? Well, no, she hasn't seen him either. She was pretty worried about him. She said they had a date last night and he didn't show up. You think she was telling the truth? Yes, I do. Well, could she contribute anything as to where he might be? Well, she did give me one lead, yeah. Oh, what was that? Well, they went to a dance Saturday night, and a guy named Phil Dayton showed up there. Mm -hmm. He'd gone to school with Gonzalez. And? Well, they went off in a corner and talked, and when Dayton left, the girl said Gonzalez was quite upset. What about? Well, she gathered that Dayton had tried to persuade the boy not to testify. Oh, I see. Oh, Sarge, have you ever heard of this man, Dayton, before? Oh, yeah, he's a stooge for the politician, Smith. Well, that certainly ties in. Yep. Sergeant, look, before we can get in this case, we must be sure the witness has fled and then consult the United States Attorney. Uh, meanwhile, I'd certainly advise you to question this man, Dayton. Hello? Hello, Peg. Oh, Nick. Yeah. Oh, Nick, where are you? What? I, I can't tell you that. What do you mean? What's happened? I had to go away. But where? It's not far, honey. Just one hour's ride from town. Ah, Nick, the police were here looking for you today. They questioned me for almost an hour. What for? It was about you. They think you've run away because of the trial. Nick, did Phil Dayton have something to do with your going away? Phil Dayton? Why should he... Well, you told me at the dance that he asked you not to testify. Sure, but I told you then it didn't make any difference. Look, you've got to come home at once. Peg, I can't. Well, listen to me. My family know about this. They think you've run away, too. If you don't come back, it... Well, it can mean the end of our marriage. Of everything. No. Honey, that's what my father said. But he can't do that. I'm telling you. Look, Peg, I'm doing this for you. What do you mean? Well, I didn't want to tell you, but I've got to. What? I did run away. Oh. I ran away because Phil told me your brother Jim was the third man in the killing. Jim? Yeah, that's why I'm in hiding. Look, honey, I can't talk much more. I had to sneak this phone call. Maybe the guy who's watching is asleep. Honey, might... wait a minute. That 
killing was a week ago Sunday night, right? Yeah. Well, Jim was home here all night. We all were. Are you sure? My Uncle Ben was here, too, and he's a policeman. That should be evidence enough. Well, sure it should. Peg, Phil lied to me. He must just... Give me that... No! Told you not to make no calls. Wait, I just found out something. Get back in your room. Oh, no, I'm getting out of here. You're what? I'm getting back to town. No, you're not. Just staying right here. We will return in just a moment to tonight's case from the files of your FBI. To every college man, there is no music ever written that can compare to the songs he sang in his student days on victorious football fields or gathered round the piano in the old union house. Well, I guess I did my share of singing, Mr. Keating, but I majored in physics. I also had to study pretty hard. I'm sure you did, Jack, and there are plenty of others like you. That may be why the average college graduate earns $72,000 more during his working years than the average American. What's more, that extra $72,000 is just half the story. Educated men and women have cultural interests and appreciation that they wouldn't part with for any amount of money. So for many reasons, everyone agrees college is the wisest and best investment loving fathers and mothers can make for their children. You're right. I've decided that my boy is going to college if it's the last thing I do. Well, if that's the way you feel, Jack, you'll be interested in an equitable education fund. Equitable education fund? What's that? It's a surefire plan offered by the Equitable Life Assurance Society, and it includes these important features. One, you start when your children are young and spread their educational costs over 10 or 15 years instead of taking a licking in four. Two, when your boy or girl is ready for education... The money is ready and waiting for him, right there in the Equitable Education Fund. Three, this equitable plan works whether you live or die. If you're totally or permanently disabled, the fund continues to build up without any further payments. If you die, the education fund becomes fully established immediately. That all sounds like just what the doctor ordered. How do I go about starting one of these funds? The man to see is your Equitable Society representative. Give your children their chance to earn that extra $72,000 by getting in touch with your equitable representative soon. Or send a postcard care of this station to the Equitable Society. That's E-Q-U-I-T-A-B-L-E. The Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. And now back to the FBI file... The Innocent Witness. Tonight's case in the files of your FBI makes one point which is well worth bearing in mind. And that is that you aid no one when you shield a criminal. The history of the various law enforcement agencies, like your FBI throughout the country, shows that the number of unsolved crimes is relatively small. So that you're condoning the actions of a criminal and obstructing the course of justice does not help him to escape, because there is no escape. 
All you do is to make it easier for him to commit another crime before his apprehension. And thus, you become a partner in that crime. As a decent citizen, you enjoy many privileges. But because you enjoy those privileges, you also have a moral responsibility to your fellow citizens. And the only way to discharge that responsibility in a situation like the one in tonight's case is to call your local police and give them the facts. They will do their part, and you will have done yours. Tonight's file continues at young Nick's hideout. His old schoolmate, Phil, has just arrived from town. Larry? All right with you, Phil. I'm glad you got here. Why? I've been having trouble. Yeah? What happened? I caught the guy using the phone. Oh, that's great. I thought I told Look, you... Look, to... I couldn't keep watching him every minute. Who'd he call? I don't know, but I stopped it quick. Did you hear the conversation? No. Where's the kid now? In his room. I had to belt him. What for? He wanted to blow out of here. Now, look, what's this all about? Well, we got him here in the first place. Oh, he was a witness that killing last Sunday. The big guy paid to have it done. Boys who did the job declared that unless they beat the rat, they talk. I get it. Now I better go in and see Nick. Find out who he talked to. Okay. Hiya, Nick. Oh, you're back. Yeah. I, uh... I thought I'd come out and see if there was anything you needed. I need to get out of here. Oh, now, look, kid. Larry just told me what he did to you, and I'm giving him strict that orders. That nothing to... to do with it. You lied to me, Phil. About what? About Peg's brother, Jim. I spoke to Peg on the phone. She said Jim was home all that Sunday night. She had witnesses. Really? Yeah. He just gave me that story so I wouldn't testify. Oh, now, that ain't so, kid. I only told you what the big guy told me. You both lied. Now, let me out of here. Oh, kid, please, don't make me call on Larry again. Next time, he'll use a gun. You stay here until the trial is over. Do you think I'll keep quiet even then? If you do, you're crazy. Look, you can't keep me here forever, Phil. When I do get out, even if it's five years from now, I'll blast you and your boss wide open. Well, thanks for the tip. I'll be talking to you later. Jim. Yes, Sergeant. A Gonzalez girl called me a few minutes ago over headquarters. Oh? She said that Gonzalez had just phoned her. He told her that he'd run away, all right, but he did it to shield her brother. To shield her brother? Yeah. Well, what has he got to do with it? Well, it's Phil Dayton that handed him a story that the girl's brother was mixed up in the killing. And he fell for it? Well, he's just a kid, Jim. The brother had been in trouble before, so I suppose he thought he was being noble about it all. Oh, I see. Well, did she straighten him out? Yeah. But in the middle of the conversation, she heard a man's voice shout something about, get off the phone. And the receiver was hung up. Did you hear from him again? No. Well, did he get a chance to say where he was? Not specifically. The only thing he told her was that he was one hour from town. Mm -hmm. And did she try to trace the call? Uh Uh-uh. It's going to be a difficult one to locate, Sergeant. Oh, by the way, did you locate this man, Phil Dayton? No, not yet. We're looking for him. Well, now that Gonzalez knows the truth, you'll want to come back. But that man who grabbed the phone may prevent that. Yeah. We may have to go looking for him, Sergeant. Have you got any suggestions? Yes. Let's get a map. Now, if he was, say, one hour from town, that should cover uh, about a 50-mile radius. Yeah. And we'll draw a circle at that point and contact every telephone exchange, see if they have a slip on anyone who's called that girl's number. (laughs) 
Hi, Nick. What do you want? I just went into town. I saw the big guy. Your boss? Yeah. I told him the whole story. I kind of hated to do it, kid, but after all, I worked for the guy. Did you tell him I'd talk no matter how long you kept me here? Yeah. He didn't like that much, but he figured out a way to keep you quiet. He better forget it. It won't work. Oh, don't be too sure, kid. What was the big plan? I'll show it to you. Larry. Yeah? Bring in our company. Okay. Peg, what are you doing here? I brought her out with me. Oh, honey. Oh, darling. It'll be okay. Want me to break him up, Phil? Oh, of course not. Leave him alone. They're friends of mine. Peg, why did you come here? Costello called me. He said you wanted to see me. That was a trick. He just wanted to get you here, too. What do you mean? He wants to hold us both. What? He's right, honey. You see, Nick wanted to make a lot of trouble for the man I work for, and I want you to convince him that'd be a big mistake. Now, I'll leave you here with him until he changes his mind. Special Agent Taylor. Hello, Jim. Oh, hello, Sergeant. Uh, did you get anything yet from the telephone company? No, no. I got a map full of pins here, but nothing's turned up. Uh, I just went to see Peg Martin. Gonzalez's girl? Yeah. She'd gone out about a half hour before. Mm-hmm. Her mother told me that she'd gotten a phone call from Phil Dayton just before she left. Uh-oh, that's not so good. Yeah, I know. Look, did she tell her mother where she was going? No, as soon as she got the call, she ran right out of the house. Sounds to me like they want to trap the girl, too. Yeah. Dayton and Smith are pretty desperate men, Jim. No telling what they'll do with those kids. Sergeant, you better get right over here. I've only got a dozen more exchanges to call. We may get something from one of them by the time you arrive. Larry? Huh? How long would you say they've been in there? Uh, over an hour. Oh, that's time enough. Let's go in. Okay. Use any muscle? Don't be so anxious. Go ahead. Bye. Well, you two talk things over? Yeah. What's the verdict? I want Nick to testify just as he planned. You, you sure of that? Look, we've made up our minds. It's too bad. Now I guess we'll have to handle things the way the big guy wanted it in the first place. What do you mean? His orders were that we should kill you. What? I was against it. After all, Nick and I are old pals. I asked the big guy to let me try to reason with you, but that didn't do any good. Look, is this another one of your ribs? No, kid. I'm sorry to say I'm lovely. Honey, Nick, you can't be serious. Honey, believe me, I am. You'll never get away with a thing like this. Why not? The police know I'm missing. So what? Next they'll find out you're dead. They won't be able to prove who killed you. Well, you're wasting time. Yeah. Well, who wants it first? Nick. Easy, honey. Take care of him, Larry. Oh, Nick. All right. Hey, what is this? We'll be right in with Marty. Oh, it's you, Sergeant. Thank heaven. Thank Mr. Taylor, too. He did the shooting. All right, Sergeant. Hop in there. We'll get those men ready for a trip down to headquarters. Bill Dayton was tried, convicted, and given a 20-year sentence for assault, battery, and intimidation of a witness. His confederate, Larry Hudson, received the same sentence. Both terms were imposed in state court. 
And so another file was marked closed, and another crime was solved. Tonight's case was closed because a special agent knew what course of investigation to follow, and followed it despite the fact that it was slow, hard work. Now, that is part of the training given to every special agent when he applies to become a member of your FBI. Training which covers a number of months of intensive study in crime solution and also in crime prevention. That ability on the part of every special agent to analyze the ingredients in each case is the keynote of the success of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Success which has brought your FBI recognition as the finest organization of its kind anywhere in the world. In just a moment, we will tell you about next week's exciting case from the files of your FBI. Mr. Keating, what's the best time to start an equitable education fund... My baby's just a year old now. Is that too young? No, Jack. The sooner you start, the lower the cost per year will be. So don't delay. Get in touch with your Equitable Society representative soon. Or send a postcard care of this station to the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. Next week, we will bring you another colorful story from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Mr. Big Shot. The incidents used in tonight's Equitable Life Assurance Society's broadcast are adapted from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. However, all names used are fictitious, and any similarity thereof to the names of persons living or dead is accidental. Tonight's program was transcribed and the music was composed and conducted by Frederick Steiner. Your narrator was Dean Carlton and Special Agent Taylor was played by Stacey Harris. This is your FBI is a Jerry Devine production. This is Larry Keating speaking for the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and the Equitable Society's representative in your community. And inviting you to tune in again next week at this same time when the Equitable Life Assurance Society will bring you another thrilling story from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Mr. Big Shot on This Is Your FBI. This program came to you by transcription. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. That's it for this episode of Case Closed. You can find lots more old-time radio at relicradio.com. More from Sam Spade, This Is Your FBI, and lots of other shows. You can find our Shoutcast stream there as well with even more old-time radio. And while you're there, if you'd like to help support this and all of the shows, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on that Donate button. Your support makes it all happen. Thanks to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me this week. I'll be back next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed. <laughs>